right after we pray this morning. So, Father, we thank you and praise you for today. We thank you for the word of God that you've allowed us to have. And I ask, Lord Jesus, that you do for us what you did for your disciples and open up our understanding to the scriptures. Open up our eyes of faith that we may behold wondrous things from your word. And Father, I pray that the Holy Spirit will be present with us this morning to teach us and guide us into the truth of your word, because apart from you teaching us, we won't be able to learn it. So help us to be good students. Lord Jesus, thank you for your love and your sacrificial death for us, your resurrection for our salvation. Thank you, Father, for uh, loving us so much that you offer us the gift of salvation in Jesus Christ. And it's in his name I pray. Amen. All right, if you would, I want to encourage you to turn in your Bibles to John chapter 19. John chapter 19, we are continuing our study in the harmony of the Gospels. We have been looking the last several weeks at the vicarious suffering of Jesus Christ, his crucifixion. Uh, We're looking at it from the viewpoint of the sayings that Uh, the Lord Jesus spoke while he was on the cross. Uh, We have covered the the first three was uh, his prayer as he was being nailed on the cross. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Then the second saying was to the other, one of the thieves on the cross being crucified with him, where he assured him after he repented and called out to Jesus as Lord. Uh, he assured him, today you will be with me in paradise. The third saying was to his mother Mary and to his disciple John, where he uh, turned over the responsibility of care of Mary to John. When she, he addressed Mary, saying, behold your son, and to John he said, behold your mother. These three sayings, the first three sayings, were spoken in daylight. Uh, Jesus was nailed on the cross at nine o'clock in the morning, approximately. He hung there until about three in the afternoon that day. But the first three hours were in daylight. At noon, we looked last week, that uh, eerie darkness came over the land. He cloaked, the Father God cloaked the suffering of Jesus Christ, his son, in darkness. It was a darkness that could be felt. It was one that uh, hid Uh, pretty much what was going on with the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. And we looked at the first saying there in the darkness, the the fourth saying of Christ on the cross, where he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? There we identified that he was in the holy of holies uh, for the sufferings of redemption for mankind. There he was taken upon himself the sin of mankind, and also suffering the justice, judgment, and the righteous wrath of God for our redemption. And we find that he suffered there. And now uh, in John chapter 19, we begin looking at this. uh, And it says in verse um, 28 is what we're going to be looking at in verse 29 today of John 19. Well, the scriptures tell us after this, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, that he that the scripture might be fulfilled, said, I thirst. Now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on hyssop 
and put it to his mouth. So we find here the shortest saying of the Lord Jesus Christ on the cross. Actually, in the original language, it's just one word. Uh, but in our English translation, it comes out, I thirst. Um, we find this is significant. I think we're going to look at some things here today that will enable us to see why he spoke these words. And but we want to kind of lay a foundation. First of all, let me just make another comment about last week's saying, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That seems to have pointed to the anguish of his soul. He was suffering for the sins of mankind. It was the anguish of his soul. And then today, the, the, the statement, I thirst, points to the torture of his body. Uh, we have looked at this in detail in the past few weeks of how he was suffering on the cross physically and now spiritually. And we, we see here that, that God's judgment touched both his body and his soul, uh, and rightly so, because Jesus himself taught in Matthew 10 and verse 28 that we are to fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. So Jesus is being our substitute. He's taking our place. So he had to suffer just as we would suffer if we were paying our own sin debt on uh, for our sins. So he suffered uh, in the anguish of his soul and also of his body. Interestingly, as we look at the last 24 hours of the Lord Jesus Christ, we can determine at least uh, 34 different prophecies that were fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ from his betrayal, his den the denial of Jesus, his trials, his uh, the scourging, the, the abuse and the humiliation that he suffered, and the crucifixion uh, of the cross on through that. But we find that here in verse 28 of John chapter uh, 19, <clears throat> we find that after this, after all these other sayings, after all this has been accomplished, he said, Jesus, knowing that all things were now accomplished, he had done what he needed to do as far as the um, payment of sin for us on the cross. Uh, but we need to understand that uh, we are looking forward to, and Jesus knew what was coming, his resurrection. He was able to face and endure the crucifixion because he looked past that and saw the uh, uh, resurrection that was going to take place just uh, uh, three days later. So we know that he says, knowing that all things were now accomplished. Jesus came to fulfill the law. He came to fulfill the prophecies of the Old Testament concerning the Messiah. He was was. Um, he was very cognizant of the fact of what he needed to go through and what he needed to do. Uh, he wasn't pleasurable. It wasn't a, a good experience for him. It was torturous. It was a, a horrific death that he was suffering, but yet he knew what needed to be done, and that was the reason he left heaven, took on the form of man, came to this earth, and lived this life and suffered this death for the fulfillment of the redemptive work of us, mankind. So we 
see that he makes this statement, I thirst. We look at this, and first of all, I see that that uh, emphasizes the humanity of Christ. He, suffered, he felt everything that we feel. He grew weary. The Bible teaches us in, in the Gospels that he was tired. He grew weary. In fact, the Bible, we've looked at this before, he even fell asleep in the back of a boat while they were crossing Galilee. Uh, he had to uh, he, he felt the pressures and the stress of ministry. He had to take his disciples and try to get away, find a desolate place, uh, uh, an isolated place where they could rejuvenate and, and, and be strengthened in their physical bodies because they were tired of, in not of ministry, but in ministry. He was constantly doing something for someone, constantly ministering to people's needs, meeting people's needs, whether it be healing them or feeding them or teaching them the word of God. Uh, he was constantly doing something. But the humanity of Christ is seen here when he said, I thirst. I think about John chapter 4 when uh, the Lord Jesus told the disciples, I must go through Samaria. He had a divine appointment there at Jacob's well with the woman uh, there living an immoral life. And there he, the Bible says in John chapter 4, as he reached Jacob's well, the Bible says he was tired. He was wearied from his journey and he sat down. And when the woman came to the well to draw water, he asked her for a drink of water. Again, the humanity of Christ is emphasized because it's important so we can be able to relate to our Savior, our Lord, knowing that he understands everything that we go through, everything that we suffer, everything that we experience, he's experienced probably more times over. Uh, the Lord Jesus asked the woman, give me a drink. And isn't it interesting that he had a conversation with this woman at the well, centered around water, drinking. Uh, and, and he even encouraged the woman, if you knew who was asking you a drink, you would ask him for the living water. And it, isn't this a paradox that the one who offered others living water was here now dying of thirst? Wow. But we see that uh, as a result, he, he came to... Uh, the woman came to acknowledge him as Messiah, as Lord, as Christ, and was received that living water in her soul, in her spirit, being that of the, the Holy Spirit, as Jesus told, taught later in John chapter 7, that the Holy Spirit would be given to us and he would flow through us like rivers of living water. So the woman was full, and as a result, she went back to the town, uh, Sychar, where she was from, and she began to uh, witness and testify of Christ to all the others in the city to the point that the, it indicates that the entire town came to know the Lord Jesus Christ. What a revival. And all about water. But here we find the Lord Jesus hanging on the cross asking for a drink. I thirst. We, um, we see that not only is the humanity of Christ, Jesus emphasized here, but I think also it emphasizes the deity of Christ as well. Um, the reason that God the Father 
and God the Son and God the Holy Spirit came up with the plan of redemption for mankind is because they thirsted for fellowship. They thirsted for our a relationship with us. And we find that whatever the Lord Jesus did, he did in order to bring us and others into that relationship. And um, in fact, in uh, speaking of John chapter 4 and the woman at the well, John chapter 4 and verse 32, the scriptures tell us there that when Jesus, after he had witnessed to and ministered to the woman at the well, the disciples came back bringing uh, Subway sandwiches from Sychar, I guess, and uh, to feed him. But he said, he said, I have food to eat that you don't know about. He said, I, mine has been quenched because he had that relationship that had been established by with the woman at the well, and he was satisfied there to the point that he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. So that relationship aspect was taken care of. But we also see that the deity of Christ emphasizes the thirsting for that relationship whenever in Revelation chapter 3 in verse 20 that the Lord Jesus Christ tells us and gives us an, an invitation, everyone, he says uh, to come into a relationship with him when he said, behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. That word dine means to fellowship, to eat and drink, have a meal. There's something about that environment that, that uh, resonates with the relationships being built. And we find that the Lord Jesus Christ uh, emphasized that whenever he was on uh, the cross and that deity is talked about. So, um, whenever I first began studying this and, and listening and reading the, the, the statement of Jesus when he said, I thirst, actually, one of my thoughts went uh, pretty quickly to 2 Samuel uh, chapter 23. And uh, verses 14 through 16. If you want to turn there just a moment, I'll just make a couple of comments from this. Uh, 2 Samuel 23, an, an incident that took place in the life of David, king of Israel. They were in battle with the Philistines. In 2 Samuel 23 and verse 14, Listen to what the, the word of God tells us that David was then in the stronghold and in the garrison and the garrison of the Philistines was then in Bethlehem. And David said with longing, oh, that someone would give me a drink of the water from the well of Bethlehem, which is, at, is by the gate. And so the three mighty men broke through the camp of the Philistines, drew water from the well of Bethlehem that was by the gate and took it and brought it to David. Nevertheless, he would not drink, but poured it out to the Lord as an offering. So we find here, of course, we know that David was a type, if you would, of Christ, and that David's uh, descendant would take on the throne of David and rule one day in the future uh, in Jerusalem as the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, and that being the Lord Jesus Christ. So we see a lot of things in the life of David that points us to the Lord Jesus. And I think this is one of them. He was thirsty. 
He longed for someone to give him a drink. He even spoke out in audible to where some of those that were close to him, his, his, his soldiers that were protecting him, they heard him, what he said, and they, they loved him so much, they uh, put their life in peril just to try to get him a cup of water from the well that he longed for. And now we find that the Lord Jesus Christ hangs on the cross and cries, I thirst. I thirst. Whenever the second thing that I thought about whenever I read this in John 19, where the Lord Jesus cried out, I thirst, my thoughts went pretty quickly to Luke chapter 16. Turn there with me, if you would. Luke chapter 16, just a moment. Luke chapter 16, the Lord Jesus Christ tells of two men. One a rich man, one a beggar. The rich man he did not name, but the beggar he named was Lazarus. I don't believe, personally, I don't believe this is a parable. I believe this is a true story involving two actual individuals that lived. And I think out of compassion for the family, the Lord Jesus Christ did not name the rich man because the rich man's eternal decision was very different from that of Lazarus. It wasn't because Lazarus was poor or the rich man was rich that they ended up in eternity where they did. It was all because of their faith and trust in Christ and the word of God. But we find that the Bible said Jesus gives us this, this uh, story in verse 19 of Luke 16. There was a certain rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen and fared sumptuously every day. But there was a certain beggar named Lazarus, full of sores, who was laid at his gate, desiring to be fed with the crumbs which fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, the dogs came and licked his sores. So it was that the beggar died and was uh, carried by the angels to Abraham's bosom. The rich man also died and was buried, and being in torments in Hades, he lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham afar off and Lazarus in his bosom. Now, we find this setting that the decisions that they made, both of these men made during their lifetime, determined where they went for eternity after they died. Understand this, there is no purgatory. Now, I guess I'll just share this with you. Uh, I, I saw a, kind of a funny the other day that uh, caught my attention because it says, I believe in purgatory. P-E-R-K-A-T-O-R-Y. And what it was that I believe in purgatory, that time you have to wait between the time that the coffee pot comes on and you can finish brewing your coffee. So purgatory is a real thing, you know, but purgatory is not. Purgatory, the teaching that there's a place that people go after they die physically and they have the op opportunity to escape that place and, and go to heaven. You know, this is a heresy, erroneous teaching. Purgatory is found nowhere in the Bible. In fact, this story, this account here that Jesus gives us in Luke chapter 16 uh, refutes that teaching. 
he goes on to say in verse uh, 24 that the rich man, he cried and said, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus that he may dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I'm tormented in this flame. So the rich man immediately went into a place of torment, Hades, tormented in flame and actually suffered thirst to the point that he was willing just for some old dirty beggar to dip his dirty finger in, a, in water and place it, a drop of water on his tongue just to try to gain some kind of relief from the torment. So hell is a real place of torment, and we need to understand that. And when we do embrace that truth, then we should be more uh, compelled to share the gospel of Jesus so others can escape this place for all of eternity. Let me read on. Jesus was talking facts about this? Sir? So you think Jesus was talking facts and wasn't making a parable? Or this is not a parable. It's not an allegory. I believe this is true fact. I believe Jesus was stating truth here. And he goes on to say in verse 25, but Abraham says, son, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things Likewise, Lazarus, evil things, but now he is comforted and you are tormented, which basically is telling us that people without Christ, all the good that they're ever going to experience is going to be in this life. And those people that trust Christ as Savior, the only things that they're going to suffer is going to be right here in this life. And life is life. Everybody suffers. It doesn't matter if you're saved or not. You're going to experience some good, some bad. But note this, that with Christ, after this life, we go to a place of comfort. After this Christ, those without Christ go to a place of torment. And then he says in verse 26 of Luke 16, And besides all this, between us and you, there is a great gulf fixed, so that there, those who want to pass from here to you cannot, nor those from there pass to us. So there's no escaping or leaving either place once you're there so we find that the lord jesus teaches us this and it, it's interesting to me that he brings out this truth that the the man in haiti suffering in the torments of fire was suffering thirst and now we find in john 19 that the lord says i thirst he suffers just like anyone would have to suffer if they paid their own sin debt. He paid our sin debt. Yes, sir, Billy. Isn't that a little sample of a play of Abraham's book on that, you know, that the Catholics got perfect for? But at that time, sin wasn't forgiven. Well, they had to do something with the righteous people that died. I went to Abraham's bosom. The work of the cross that released everybody. There's no nobody there. On the comforting side, yes, sir. Everybody's in up in heaven, paradise, according to Second Corinthians says, paradise is up in heaven. Second Corinthians twelve. Right, right, right. Don't the Catholics still teach there is a purgatory? Yes, ma'am. They even they even teach that if you pay them enough money, the priest they can pray them out of purgatory and pray them into heaven. Well, uh, there is a small 
ski resort in Colorado called Purgatory. And I have tried to ski there. And that's and a bad would, place of torment, wasn't it? I would pay to sit down. <laughs> yes, it was a place of torment. All right. We've been there. They have a bicycle race there. And, and there are two places that I know of. But anyway, up and down the mountains. And they're vicious. Right. Right. They call it the hotter than hell bicycle race. Yeah. <laughs> well, it sounds appropriate for the name. Is it so. up hills both ways? Yeah. In, yeah. in the snow, barefooted. Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go back to John 19. So John 19, Jesus says, "I thirst." Now, the word "thirst" um, refers to suffer thirst painfully feel the want of thirst. So it was, it wasn't just like, hey, I'm thirsty. I'm gonna just get a drink of water a little bit. It's something like if you can envision being out in a hot desert for days without water and your lips are chapped, your tongue is swelled up, you're craving what you it's a it's a thirst that you feel a hurt for. It's something just deep, deep within. So very, very, yes, ma'am, very much so because he was bleeding all this time. He was, he was excruciating pain. He was suffering horrendous uh, pain. And we find that the, the word of God teaches us that even in this, the Lord Jesus was fulfilling prophecy, fulfilling scriptures. And let's look at some of those, okay? Psalm 69 in verse 3. You want to turn there just a moment. Um, Psalm 69 in verse 3. The psalmist 69 in verse 3. The psalmist said, I am weary with my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Now, again, if you keep in mind all that's going on, he's been hanging on the cross almost six hours. He's coming to the last part of the six hours. He's just uh, entering, uh, exiting out of the, the place where he's cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He is coming to the end of that. And he, he says, my, my, my throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. And remember, we, we brought out the fact that uh, this is the only time that Jesus, that I find recorded, that he addressed the Father as God, my God, uh, because that, that fellowship had been broken. That Because of the sin, the enormity of sin that was upon him, not just upon him, but he became sin for us. So that, that was severed there just like it was in the Garden of Eden when Adam uh, transgressed in the garden. He disobeyed God, then, then that, that was broken there. That, that fellowship, that closeness was severed. And that's exactly what the Lord Jesus Christ was feeling, separated from the Father. Uh, and now we find that he, he says, I was waiting for my God, my throat was dry. And then we find that, it, it referring to the physical thirst, uh, in Psalm 22, in verse 15, Psalm 22 is a messianic psalm just about 
from the beginning to the end. In fact, the very first verse of Psalm 22 is, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And the following verses make reference to various things and aspects of the crucifixion. And then it refers to the physical thirst there in Psalm 22 and verse 15, where the psalmist said, My strength is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. So the indicating the enormity of thirst that, that he was feeling here. And then we begin to, we look also in Psalm 42 and verses 1 and 2. I believe this makes reference to the spiritual thirst that the Lord Jesus Christ was identifying with. Psalm 42, verses 1 and 2. The psalmist says there, As the deer pants for water, for the water brooks, so pants my soul for you, O God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God. So he was thirsty and in his physical being, he was thirsty in his spiritual being, his deity, every aspect of him thirsted for God. Now, many have also immediately pointed uh, in John 19 in this, this text as a fulfillment of Psalm 69 and verse 21. Psalm 69 and verse 21 the scriptures tell us there, they also gave me gall for my food. And for my thirst, they gave me vinegar to drink. We go back to John 19, and it says, when Jesus said, I thirst, in verse 29, it says, now a vessel full of sour wine was sitting there, and they filled a sponge with sour wine and put it on a hyssop and put it to his mouth. Now, this is different than when he was first led to the cross. If you remember in, in Matthew, whenever they finally got to Golgotha's hill and they was about to nail him to the cross, they offered him wine mixed with gall or myrrh, which was kind of a pain-killing effect uh, to help them better endure the tremendous torture they were about to feel being nailed to the cross. But he refused to drink that because he, he knew he had to experience every ounce of judgment for us. He didn't want to miss anything. He wanted it all to be fulfilled. So he refused that. But now they offered him sour wine or vinegar to drink. And, and many scholars believe that that was a uh, a, a mixture of wine and vinegar and water there for a, just a cheap drink for the soldiers, for the executioners, and even for the uh, for the those that were being uh, executed uh, to quench their thirst somewhat, but uh, just kind of a cheap drink. And uh, it says that uh, it was with the vinegar. I don't know. Have any of you ever tasted vinegar? Apple cider vinegar. Yeah. Apple cider vinegar. Uh, good for your this wasn't apple cider vinegar. This was sour vinegar. This was nasty. So if you can envision that, I don't think that would quench a thirst. But it 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 wet it wet his his tongue anyway. 
So, so we find that uh, the, this was offered to him um, and it was put on a hyssop and raised up to him again. You know, I know that many times in, in paintings and pictures, we, we see Christ uh, suspended high on a cross, but actually he, his feet was probably just a couple of feet from the ground. He was well within reaching distance of the, those that were stand, the soldiers that were standing there uh, executing him. But they took a hyssop, which was a, a common uh, plant uh, herb there, that they, they took that and, and put a sponge on the end of it and raised it up to his mouth in order for him to uh, just get the moisture from it, actually. Interestingly, they, they used hyssop. Hyssop was used in the Old Testament in Exodus chapter 12 whenever Moses was instructed by the Lord at the Passover, the first Passover, the institution of the Passover, where he said it was in Egypt and the Lord said, okay, the, the judgment of God is coming and the firstborn is going to be killed as a judgment upon Egypt. And he instructed them to take the lamb, the Passover lamb, and kill it and all that. But he, in that, those instructions, he told them to take hyssop and dip it in the blood of the animal, the lamb, and place the blood on the doorpost and on the lintel. And whoever was in that home uh, would be covered by the blood. They, and the judgment the, would, would pass over them. And we find that hyssop was used to... Uh, quench the thirst of the Lord Jesus, and interesting to me uh, that connection that was made there in in Scripture. But uh, we find that uh, in it was used there. But then uh, in Psalm 51 and verse seven, we find hyssop was also used, uh, referred to anyway uh, by. Uh, David in his prayer of repentance. In Psalm 51 and verse 7, whenever G, uh, David was repenting of his sin with Bathsheba and Uriah, he prayed this prayer of repentance. And in that prayer, in verse 7, he says, Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. So we find hyssop plays an important part in the life of the Lord Jesus and, and the deity of Christ and the, and the reconciliation of man to God and the fellowship to be restored there uh, with God. So we find that hyssop was a very adequate uh, usage there in, in quenching the thirst of the Lord Jesus. But again, I remind you that the, the Jesus of Nazareth who offered the living water was there dying of thirst. But here's, here I think is a, a little switch in for our personal application of this. Do we thirst for God? as Christ prayed, I think, as the deer pants for the water brook, so my soul thirsts for God. Do we thirst for the living God? Do we thirst and hunger for righteousness? What is in our 
spirit. The Bible says Jesus taught if we hunger and thirst for righteousness, we shall be filled. So we need to be thirsty for God. We need to have that kind of thirst that we long for him to quench us with that living water that he offered the woman at the well. If we come to that place that we thirst like that, then we will begin to hate sin, just as God hated sin. It was evidenced on the cross. You've heard me say this before. Uh, the cross, if you want to know what God's love looks like, look at the cross. If you want to know what God thinks about sin, look at the cross. It gives us a picture of both. He loves us so much that he was willing to die for us. He hates sin so much he was willing to die for it because he knew that sin causes death in us. He died so we might live. But we should thirst to be holy as God. Uh, God is holy. Jesus, the Lord, the Bible says, be holy as I am holy. And we need to learn how to be thirsty for holiness and righteousness. We should thirst to be like Christ. Uh, we should thirst to bring glory to the Lord. We should thirst to bring glory to his sacred name. We should be thirsty enough to, in our spirit, to uh, yield ourselves to conformity to the will of God. What Jesus exemplified. And the Bible says we're to follow in his steps. So I wonder... Are we? Are we thirsty? Are we thirsty enough to get into the Word of God? You know, it's, it's interesting to me that we try to live the Christian life with a closed Bible. You can't do that. That's an oxymoron. You cannot live the Christian life with a closed Bible. We've got to get into the Word of God, and the Word of God has, must be in us to where we know it, learn it, obey it, follow it. The, uh, so that's what I encourage you today. When Jesus said, I thirst, remember that. Anytime you take a drink of water or something to quench your thirst, think about it. Am I thirsting for righteousness? Am I thirsting for God? Am I thirsting for that fellowship? Jesus thirsted for me. Do I thirst for him? Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for this time in the Word of God. I pray that you'll just uh, use it and help us to understand and embrace the tremendous sacrifice you paid for us. We love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Amen. God bless you, folks.